What's up guys, this is Bruce from Protavo, Simple Shop Management Software. Today we're in Urbana, Illinois with co-owner of Campus Inc, Tom Coleman. Hey folks. Tom's joining us because he just has such a crazy amount of history in screen printing, talking about things that I didn't even know happened before and love to be able to tell your story with it. So again, thanks for joining us. When did you start screen printing? What year? Well, let's put it this way. I'm over 55. Uh -huh. And I'm still working the only job I've ever had. Okay. And it began when I was 12 years old. So wow. I'm a third generation business, business owner, along with my two other business partners. My grandfather came from Italy in uh, 1905, and he was a shoe cobbler. He bought a tiny little piece of dirt in Champaign, Illinois, which was one block away from the University of Illinois at that time, which was two buildings. It was a dirt road. My grandfather opened a cobbler shop repairing shoes. By the 1950s, it was time for something new. My father had gotten very involved in the business, and that's when he learned to silk screen, which is what it used to be called. What year was that? Like 1955. Okay. Uh, my father went to New York, took a class for two weeks to silk screen, back when these screens were actually made of woven silk. Uh, that's where the name came from. He brought screen printing back to Champaign, built a little teeny shop on the second floor of our building, and I was born in 1961. By the time I was a middle schooler, my parents worked every night and every day, so guess where I was? I was at the shop, folding yeah. shirts. We used to hang our shirts to dry. We literally printed with Sherwin-Williams latex house paint. Wow. We would take our shirts. Was that the standard or that was it was cheap. Found? It sure. was cheap and we were the only printer in town. So guess what? That's what we did. Yeah. Until we found out there were better things to do. <laughs> but we literally had about a thousand square feet of just open space with rods hanging along the ceiling. This was and in the cobbler shop or in this, the back? No, or? this is in the second story okay. of where our cobbler shop was, which had become a shoe repair, a shoe store, and then a t-shirt sales room. So we were doing retail on the first floor, and then you walked up some rickety stairs to the second floor, and that's where the printing shop was. So back in those days, uh, when I was young, and I was still at, I would go back to the shop with my parents every night and print, or watch them print at that time when I was 8, 9, 10, 11. We used latex house paint and we used silk screens and we would literally hang them on a hanger, each individual shirt, hang it from a rod, it would dry overnight, our shirts were done the next morning. Wow, so who was ordering it then? Other businesses? Who or? was ordering? Yes, well, you have to remember we had a retail store downstairs uh -huh. and so we were selling University of Illinois merchandise, things with the logos of that day, you know, which were all hand cut on red ruby lift. Computers were nowhere to be found in the graphic arts industry at that time. And that's actually how I learned to do artwork was hand drawing and then red ruby lift overlays. If you had a four color job, you drew the first one by hand, you did use press type, you blew it on and blow, blew up your text on an enlarger shot film positives, and then would cut red ruby lith overlays, and you would burn your screens from those. Wow. So... But that was also using emulsion though on it, or...? Back in that day, we used a capillary film. The first step in the process, before we ever went to any capillary film, which was exposed via light, light source, 
we actually had an artist that hand cut all of our designs and back then it were they were all single color images and she would literally hand cut on a water adhesive film that would adhere to our screens and so there was no artwork other than she would cut the design into a film remove weed out the part of the film where the ink was going to transfer through adhere that to the screen and that became your screen to print with wow now were any of these custom jobs too or is it yeah. all for the retail okay nope, it was so how do people was, bring in artwork could they just kind of tell you what they wanted they would sketch it up okay and then we had an artist that would then take it to finished art and he would go through all those painstaking steps of hand creating artwork. Back in the 60s, we actually had one person that did nothing more than caricature art. He did freehand character art. So when they wanted people illustrated, that's the person that would do that. Then we had other people that were typesetters and they would literally use rub off lettering, which speaking to younger people in the industry now, they have no idea how typesetting used to be done but you would buy sheets of dry transfer lettering and you would use grid paper for straight lines or you would custom draw an arch that you wanted and you would rub off dry erase lettering, transfer it onto a piece of paper, spell out the word you wanted under a, an enlarger and you would take a picture and you could blow it up to three times as, as its original size or you could shrink it to one third of its original size. And then that's how you started with your design. And you would do your lettering that way and then you would add your images by hand-drawn wow. images. So where did your dad go to learn this? There was he a went larger... to New York. There was an art district uh -huh. in New York downtown and that's where he went. And he had heard about it from a relative that lived in New York, that lived in Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. And they said they had heard of a place that you could go for training to learn to soak screen. And so my father went there for two weeks. Incredible. The relative was the one who told him, said, hey, check out this so screen thing. My was father talked about different things that he could do as a business in a university setting. Okay. Because by then, in the 1960s, cool. the university had grown to 20,000 students. Our building was no longer on a dirt road. It was actually a paved road. Right. But uh, yeah, the university had grown so much and now it was time to add a new type of a business to, especially in the 60s, you have to remember it was the Vietnam War era. Um, there were a lot of hippies that were in the university setting. And guess what? If we were running a shoe store and a shoe repair shop, most hippies were not wearing shoes or they were wearing sandals. Right. And my father Senior said, shift. oh no, what are we going to do for a living? Right. And that's when he went out and he learned to soak screen. Very interesting. What about the garments? Where did they come from? Well, the earliest I can really remember about the garments was when I was probably, I was born in 1961. And I can remember going to the John Hancock Center in downtown Chicago. I can remember going with my dad twice a year when I was about seven or eight years old. And my dad would go and he would sit down and place futures orders on t-shirts, sweatshirts, and sweatpants. And so he would place those orders four months later he would get those products in wow. and he would hope that the colors that he picked the and same. the size allotment that he had picked yeah. all those things and he would pay for them in full at the time of the order 
and then four months later he would get all of his product. So from Urbana, mm -hmm. drive up, drive to Chicago, to Chicago, go to the John Hancock plan Tower, the inventory, everything for the next place his order that he would months. receive four months later. He would, would it not ship there. Or do you have to pick it up? No, it would ship directly okay. to our place. One large, the largest catastrophe that ever happened in our family's business was a day after we got in 300 cases of sweatshirts for the fall semester. And just so you know, back in those days, it was the late 60s, early 70s, uh, it was probably 71, 72. The color palette of choice at that time of the calendar were lilacs. Lilac pink, lilac yellow, lilac lavender. They were just really pastel-y colors. We had just gotten in an entire semi full of boxes that we had now, we had a little rope pulley system that we had pulleyed all these boxes and we had lined and we had lined them in our second floor area. <coughs> Overnight, that night, there was a short in our dryer, our textile dryer. And it burned? And we had a fire. Wow. All the inventory was lost. My father's, our business closed down for six months. Yeah, that was a, I, I can never forget coming after high school. It, I guess it would have been about 1974 because I was in high school at that time. And I remember coming there after high school and watching them fighting the fire and watching my dad literally age about 20 years that afternoon in the parking lot because of how devastated he was. Holy from cow. It. So that's just a warning folks. Fires and t-shirt shops are not good things because lint loves to burn. Sure. And that's exactly what caused it was a short in our dryer that caught lint on fire. And the fire was so hot that it burned at over 1600 degrees and melted the steel roof in the building. Wow. How did, how did you guys recover from there? Um, it was a long drawn out process. My father dealt with the insurance issues and my father was a very stubborn Italian man and he said I will not take what they're offering me on on the products that I have that are not completely burnt but are basically the packages they were in back then everything was polybagged in sixes <coughs> and so the products had smoke damage to the outside of the packages but the products were not damaged other than you could still smell them. Uh -huh. My father reached an agreement with the insurance company that they would pay him a very small amount and he could keep the product and my father literally for the next five years ran smoke damage sales in different buildings around Champaign-Urbana for five years. What, what does that mean, smoke damage sales? These products all, they were perfectly good t-shirts or sweatpants. Oh, but they smell But the, you could still smell the it. smoke. And so he would sell them at 50 cents a piece or a quarter a piece. But that's just kind of the, the work ethic that my father had, that he wasn't about to take pennies on the dollar for the product that they were going to pay him for. And so he said, I will sell this stuff and I will dig myself out of this hole. So eventually, what, had to rebuild the shop? <laughs> yeah, we had to rebuild the entire second story of the building burn. And we had to completely, that was, it took about, <clears throat> it occurred in the fall and then we were open again in, I know we were open before the, the next semester ended. So I think we got open like April or May with a new and improved second story because we went a foot higher. I can always remember the ceiling height was seven feet and then we went to eight feet once we put a new roof on the building. That's awesome. Holy cow, that's a, 
There's a lot of ups and downs. Are there any other interesting ups and downs that happen over... So we're in the... Well, actually, let's step back. We're in the, what, 70s now? We're up to the 70s. And okay. now and now I am, if we want to talk about where I was in the business then, I had two older sisters that were very involved in the business. Uh -huh. But there's an age difference of about 20 years between my sisters and I. I was the surprise mm. that came along a little yeah. later in life. So at that time, my sisters uh, were running the business. My father was basically overseeing, but they were 20 years older than me and both had, had husbands and children. And so I kind of saw, I had the opportunity to stay in the family business if I chose to. So I continued to work at the family business throughout high school and was kind of a sales rep through the high school and also would come over and print the stuff on the weekends and I would work every weekend and I would usually work if I wasn't playing the sport. I would be at the store from three o'clock in the afternoon until 6.30 or seven each day. So it was definitely a family business. After graduating high school, I saw the opportunity to stay in the family business. <coughs> so I went to the University of Illinois. I stayed in town. I didn't go away to school like a lot of my friends did and I stayed in town and I went to the U of I and graduated from the U of I and worked full-time the entire time that I was in school. It took me an extra year, but I finished. By that time, uh, my sisters were older and were thinking about it might be a good opportunity to start stepping away. And so I basically took over the retail store and the printing shop at that time. Um, and then... So you've seen some economic changes as well since the 50s. I mean, was that does that affect here much, like ups and downs of the economy or no? Because oh, it's yes. so... Oh, it does. Yeah, and so my I have two other business partners. One is just about my exact age, and uh -huh. another one is Stephen Farrig, who I'm sure people have seen on, on, on your blogs. Uh -huh. um, and Stephen is a generation younger than us. And so one thing that we have always expressed to Stephen is we are a very fortunate company and we we are very strong financially we do it with a lot of hard labor but we've also done it with a lot of technology Stephen's been able to add to our business but the one thing that Stephen has never seen is a down economy mm -hmm. the, the lesson that my other business partner Jed and I learned when a bad economy comes it can be your best friend if you are a strong company if you don't know anybody and, can, and you can weather the storm, your competition will be about a third as strong as it used to be because the majority of printing companies are out. leveraged. And they can't make those payments, and guess what? Everything they at least, it's gone. So that is, that's one reason that we're very strong financially and always have been is because we have stuck to some pretty base lessons that Jed and I learned early on from our parents that own businesses. Those don't finance, buy it. <laughs> finance buy when it. you have to, but make sure that it's a good investment and make sure that it is going to pay for itself speedy. You're not trying to pay for this investment for years and years because by that time technology is going to have surpassed what you now have and it's going to cost a tenth of what it did five years ago. So, so don't be the first guy on the block to buy the fanciest new thing. I know M&R and Canon and everybody is saying, buy, 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 you've got to have the newest, but things need to be time tested to be sure that you're buying what you really need. And that's that's just one little thing that, that Jed and I always stuck to and it served us really well.
Interesting. Buying new equipment, or I mean, you guys obviously bought the building that we went through. Mm -hmm. Any other tips that you feel like you could give younger printers or even business owners that to, to help weather for the long haul? Oh, for the long haul, it is don't be afraid to invest in your employees. My business partner, Jed, who is my age, and I both came from parents that were very hands-on in the businesses they owned and did not relinquish much responsibility and kind of ruled with an iron fist. As I got older, I saw that I was following in the same traits that my father had taught me. And I learned that bringing in younger employees, which is the only way that your company is going to grow and uh, be able to really prosper in the future, is by bringing in strong, young, hungry, bright future employees to your company. And you have to be able to be able to delegate to them, teach them a trade if they're not already trained in the, in the career that they have teach them because without them you can't go back to pulling the squeegee by yourself all day every day it just doesn't work i tried it it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about reinvesting back in are there specific examples that train 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 let them see the new technology that is out there and let them understand that when the time is right if the business feels that's a direction that they should go that opportunity will be there so incentivize them by saying, hang with us, learn what you have right now, and become the master of your trade, and look towards the future on new things. Since, since we've been in our building, we have ventured into direct-to-garment now. Uh, we do sublimation. We have a full embroidery shop. Uh, we have a couple more acquisitions that we'll be making um, that we haven't done yet, but as soon as it's right financially, we'll be going to a direct-to-screen. A lot of people laugh at us and say, gosh, you guys are still burning your screens with vellum. We have because it still works. Mm -hmm. But we are getting to that point volume-wise now that we are probably six months to a year from that. That's the next large step that we will take. So those ups and downs in the economy, how you said it definitely affected and changed the business. How do you feel like that it's made you stronger or get ready for any other changes in the future? Well, we've become very adaptable and we haven't put all of our eggs when it comes to putting your eggs in the basket in terms of one certain type of client. <clears throat> We're a long-standing business in this community, as I said, all the way back to 1905. <coughs> We're in a communi community of 120,000 people. We have now added so much of an online presence and so much of the work that we do are through sales reps on university campuses around the country. A lot of our sales now also go to former sales kids that, that were our sales reps on college campuses that have now gone on to real careers and they take their knowledge of imprinted textiles to their companies that they're now working for mm -hmm. and when that opportunity come up, comes up that their company needs something or their church needs something, they, they now have been able to refer us and say, hey, I know a great company I used to work for. Um, it is not putting all your eggs in one basket and focusing on one certain client, because if you have a time come through in the economy, that that type of a client, if you're all into car dealerships, if you are all sure. into rock bands, if you are all into bars and restaurants, when certain times come in the economy and those people go through a downturn, if your eggs are in their basket, guess what? You have nothing to do. 
So you mentioned also financing some things but not the others. How do you determine what has the better ROI to do that on versus we should pay in cash or save for this? Well, you know, we have been pretty steadfast about not financing equipment purchases. We obviously have financed the building that we own, um, the bank owns, but we own a good chunk of it. We have been able to utilize uh, and avoid deferring paying taxes. At the end of the year, we're a, fortunately, we're a profitable company, and we have been able to roll those taxes that we would be paying at the end of a year into setting that money aside, reinvesting that money into new equipment purchases, which is what we've done with our new M&R automatic, with our new M&R dual belt dryer. That saved us tax money, and we put that money away, and we're able to pay cash for those things. We have yet to finance a piece of equipment just because we're a bit too conservative for that. A lot of people say that's the only way that you can grow. We're at the point in our business that our opportunity to grow now comes with adding a second shift. The equipment's here in place, and all we need is an expanded workforce, and we can get twice as much work out of the same amount of equipment by doubling our, our shifts. So that's the next thing that will be coming uh, to us before we add more productivity uh, via equipment. We'll be adding a second shift. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, I was just chatting with a shop uh, up in Buffalo <coughs> Grove of the second shift. And the pros and cons as, uh, you know, then you have a night and you have to worry about it. And uh, You've got all the other night. things that, that you have during your daytime, but if you have your A-team here during the daytime, whether you're right. a production manager, whether you're a press operator, whether you're an order puller, whether you're a folder and a boxer, if you have your A-team here during the daytime and now you have a B-team here in the nighttime, the A-team bosses sit at home and fret because yep. they're saying, what's happening at my shop exactly. tonight? You can put in camera systems like we have here, uh -huh. and we can watch what's going on, but guess what? The All of a sudden, the mistake can occur, right. and you don't find it until the next day, and that product was probably supposed to ship that day. Right. So that is the scariest portion. So once again, we go back to investing in our employees, teaching them leadership skills, teaching them to be leaders, uh, and developing them and bringing them up through the ranks so that they can lead that second shift not an a and a b team but two a teams so that's kind of what we're in the process of developing right now very cool fast forwarding to today you know you talked about just having so much experience in the industry and how technology has shifted and changed things mm -hmm. too <clears throat> i work with a lot of shops and i feel like that have trouble making a transition to either adding tech or you know or they've just been I understand, right? You've been doing things for so many years the same way. Is there any tips or piece of advice that you could give shops to be able to say, you know, it is hard, but this is where I feel like you should go. And sure. This isn't, by the way, a printable thing. This is just like a no, I, business. I completely understand because, thing. well, I'll just, I'll start with the story that brought the evolution to this business. Stephen Farrig came to us when he was an undergrad at the University of Illinois. He was always an entrepreneur, and he had been kind of crapped on by a former vendor that he had done some shirts on. They had printed shirts for him, and then they went behind his back the following year and tried to print the exact same product and sell them themselves. Stephen is a very honest, trustworthy, and trusting person. When they double-crossed him, he said, I've got to find a new vendor. At that time, he came to us 
he told us uh, about the products that he was producing once a year, really, for a special event that was happening on the university campus. And he told us what had happened, and he said, I need somebody that I can trust. And we said, you can trust us. We've been here forever. We would never do that. We do a lot of printing for contract printers. We would never go out and try to solicit the business of the same customer that we just printed products for for that contract customer. Uh, that's just not in our nature. We're, we're not that way. Stephen came to us and watched us operate for about six months, and he came to us and said, I want to become a partner in this business. And we said, Stephen, you're an engineering student at the University of Illinois. Why would you want to grow up to be a t-shirt printer? And he said, because I'm the black sheep of the family. I have one sister that's a doctor, one sister that's a lawyer. I'm the black sheep. I'm the entrepreneur. So Stephen literally came in, learned the business from us, and two and a half years later, bought in and became a one-third equity partner in the business. At that time, we, my business partner, my other business partner, Jed and I, both had to step back and say, oh crap, what have we done? Because this young man thinks of things in such a different means than we do. We think customers are gained by going out, taking them to lunch, shaking their hand, building a relationship with them so that every time their company needs shirts, sure. Joe Dirt says, by God, you don't call anybody but Tom and Jed at Campus Sportswear because they're our guy. Sure. As we all know, society has changed. Our purchasing habits have changed immensely. That brings the internet. It is so much easier to attract new business, but I think it's even that more difficult to maintain and build loyalty with those customers, internet-based wise. Steven told us if we were going to grow the business, and Jed and I at the age of 52 or 53 when Steven came in with us, you guys can't do this forever. And we have to look at how people in the next gener younger generation are actually spending their money. Uh, it was a good year before I and Jed both bought into this, to the idea as Steven started developing his system and that was teaching people to sell becoming salespeople and then sending the projects to us to print. It was about a year that it took us to start believing, wow, okay, this kid kind of knows what he's talking about because we're watching our sales increase nice percentages annually to the point that we have doubled in about four years, uh, which we're very fortunate. And had we not listened to what Stephen had said back then, uh, we would never have grown at this rate. So how do you keep that open mind? Right, because I can only imagine how hard it is to do something for so long. Yeah, and it was, and it took patience on both sides. I'm talking old generation to young generation. In the things that we were experiencing with Steven, I was getting frustrated when this little thing called Printavo came along uh -huh. because it was always called Tom's Clock, okay? In my head, I had been doing this since I was 12 years old for a living since I was 20 years old. I was now 50, over 50, and instead of the production clock being in Tom's head, knowing at this time on Wednesday we'll be running this job, this time on Wednesday we'll be running this job, by Friday we'll have this job done. That's great as long as Tom was here. I had never looked beyond that, that Tom wasn't going to be here, uh -huh. and so why did I need to fix that? Sure. Well, as things ratcheted up, production needed to ratchet up. Tom couldn't be here all the time. 
we needed a reliable, easy to understand for the non-technically savvy people. Like I know there's some old guys out there and old women out there right now that are in the printing industry that are saying, I've done it this way and it works. Well, it will work, but believe me, there are opportunities to improve the way that you guys are able to work. Sure. You've been through all these changes. It's been, you know, 50, almost 60 years-ish here. Actually, on the, on the high end of 60 years. Um, what's next? Like, where do you think things are going based on what you've seen? Wow. I say stick to your guns and keep doing what you do well. We see fancy things like digital squeegees, you know. We, we see things like direct garment Are they ever going to replace screen printing? I don't think in the volume and the customer bases that we have that it'll ever occur in my lifetime. I don't know what's going to happen in another 40 years. I don't know. The way that everything technologically is changing, laws are changing, uh, OSHA requirements are changing, uh, environmental issues are changing, nothing lasts forever. But the one thing that we have focused on is getting better and refining what we do as a company to fortify the future so that we are stronger today than we were yesterday at what we do, whether it's equipment, whether it's products, the technology that goes into the production. It, it, it basically is become stronger next week than we were this week just by doing what we do even better. That's awesome. Tom. Thanks so much. You're I got welcome, a man. Thanks so much for, for, for no sharing sweat. your stories about all this. No sweat. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. When when Stephen brought Printavo to us, like, what are you talking about, uh. man? You're going to make me sit down at a computer now, yeah. and now I have... And he goes, how is anybody else going to know? Do you ever want to take a day off? And, you know, seven years ago, five, no, five years ago, when he started in, I never took a day off. I didn't. It was just... But come from a hard-working Italian family yeah. that, by God, you're at work. You know, if you take a day off from the family business because you're sick, you don't get paid, okay? The employees that take a day off because they're sick get paid. But if you're a family member, you don't get paid if you stay home sick. So guess what? You learn to come to work. Well, you know what? That's not a, not, not a great way to run a business. Yeah. And also, I had never thought that I was at that point, but the whole burnout thing of doing the same thing since you were 12, it starts happening. So, for the first time ever, I had some health issues. I had to have eye surgery this summer. It was coming at a perfect time that it was time for Tom to step away. And I had never been away from this place for two weeks and said... How'd that feel? Uh, scary. 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 Because you, you still, as a business owner, you still hold on to this thing that yeah. says... This is my business, right. and it is what it is because of what I've done. Or is this person doing what I do? Or, you know. But this is when I kind of had the awakening, and I said, by God, I have to train my people. We have to train our people, whether they're salespeople, graphic artists, press operators, production foremen. We have to train them because there can be no succession of this business without doing it. And so it was scary, and I it was a miserable two weeks, not just because I had eye surgery, but to lay around and could do nothing. And then when I came back to work, I no couldn't lift more than five pounds yeah. for a month. And so I was basically useless here. But I will say 
that I was able to begin trusting. Do you think that event forced you? I I think like I think I think it, I think that? it was a message from God, uh -huh. honestly. Um, and it was Stephen and I had just had a meeting because Stephen had some issues going on that he was like, man, I'm still working with this old tyrant that's been here, you know, since I came in. I like the idea of him being here and teaching me the business five years ago, but now he's still here every day and he's still in charge of everything in the back end of production. And if I'm gonna grow this business as a young owner in this business, how do I grow it on the back of somebody that's now 57 going on 58 years of age? And it took that and Stephen's unhappiness at that time, wondering if he had made a poor choice. It took that and also being home, stuck on my face, laying there for two weeks, doing nothing, to start thinking about things like, hey, why can't I come do my work in the morning that, uh, that I need to do and get out of here? And what yeah. am I gonna do today? I was here at 7.30 this morning. I did the things I needed to do. I took care of some emails. I took care of some purchasing questions. I kind of worked on some vendors of ours to get ready for this huge fall that we are in the middle of coming right now. And now I'm walking away and I'll be back tomorrow morning and I'll tend to the things that I need to do and make sure that these guys that are running all of our machines right now and that are manually printing and are running our direct garment and are shooting out our screens, they know what their roles are. And now they can enjoy their jobs more knowing they've been entrusted to do a job and now just show up and do your job. That's inspiring. So that, it really was. I mean, it really, the summer has been a, a fabulous, uh, kind of a changing of the calendar yeah. uh, in terms of looking at the future of this place. And I'm, I've just always been one of those guys that I've always been at work. I just always have, because why? Because my father was always at work. Right. And guess what? Those habits are hard to break. Um, but sometimes things happen for reasons. And I truly do believe that, that it was a message from God when I had this surgery, was gonna be laid up, surgery went wonderfully. I can see better now than I could six months ago after falling off of a trailer. Don't ever do that and land on your <laughs> temple because sometimes oh you get gosh. torn retinas wow. and it was a bad experience, but um, things are better now in my business and my marriage because my wife can now actually see me come home and relax a little bit and enjoy the time that I'm away from the business because I'm not worrying about it. Because sure. now I've kind of given, turning the reins over to some people that I know can continue to succeed. That's awesome. That's so Tom that's, Coleman. So that's our story, man. Tom Coleman, Campus St. Coeur. Just so much history there. We're going to have to make a movie. Okay, we can. <laughs> we can. That's really cool. Okay. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you so man. much.